We are in a series called Clues to the Kingdom. Clues to the Kingdom. We've been talking about these uh, things, these stories that Jesus tells us to help us better understand his kingdom. Right? We know that the kingdom of God is, had come through Jesus, that it was here, it was present. And when we begin to read the stories, the, the life and the words of Jesus, we begin to see the kingdom and what it looked like and what it means to be citizens of that kingdom. Right? And today as we talk, we're going to be talking about a, a story where people could potentially be late or they could miss out. And I don't know about you, have you missed, missed out on something before? Right? Any of you like late sometimes? All right? this, this is confession time. You guys are like, I'm never late. Um, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? May, how, how many of you have not been prepared for something at one point? Right? There you go. There you go. Okay. All right. Um, well, I was thinking of a story. Danielle and I were talking. I was trying to think of a story of, you know, because I'm never late and I'm always prepared. So I was like, Danielle, I need a story of when I was late and not prepared, you know, because my wife's really good at reminding me of times when I was not prepared or when I wasn't on time. Um, you know, because I do everything right. <laughs> I got a lot of pride, too, I'm working on. But, uh, so, so I was thinking, reminded, reminded the story. She helped me remember the story. But one time, we wanted to go camping as a family, right? I love camping. I love getting out in the woods. I love getting the kids out there, getting dirty, you know, going to bed smelly at a campground. You know how it goes. Um, but we planned to go camping. In, in the beginning, it was when we were living in Idaho. And during the beginning of the summer, we just packed our car on a, on a whim one night after work. And I was like, we're going camping. I was a Thursday night, which is, a, you know, we're going to go camping for two nights. Let's just go. We'll find a spot, right? So we did that at the beginning of the summer. We, we drove. We loaded our car up, drove to the campsite. There was an opening. We drove right up, pitched the campsite, and we were good to go, right? It was a great time. Had a fun time. Daylin was like this big. She went to bed. It was awesome. We had a great time camping. So towards the end of the summer, we're like, we should go camping again, right? So what do we do? We get prepared. We throw everything in our car, all three kids, all of our camping gear. And we said, Dan, you know, like we're going to go camping, right? Um, so we get going and we drive to the campsite that we went to last time and we're driving through and every campsite is taken, 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 taken. And so we go through and we're like, man, all these are taken. And so we go back around and we drive through. Well, maybe someone's leaving now, you know? No, they're all taken. And so we're like, man, well, I look it up real quick. All right, campsite, campground. All right, there's another one about 20 minutes away. So we, get in the, we start driving again and we drive to this other campground on the other side of the lake and we go drive through. Taken, 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 taken. I'm like, oh man, we're like, our, our aspirations and our dreams of camping are crumbling before me. And I was like, you know, put it in my phone again, you know, not very good service, punch it in campgrounds. Oh, there's another one about another 20 miles south on the other side of the lake. You know, we're going around Lake Coeur d'Alene basically at this point. And so we're like going around, they're like, we'll go to that campground. And we get there, and it's just now starting to get dark, right? Because like I said, we did this after work. We're going to go after work and uh, going to get there, going to camp for two nights. It's going to be great. We had a great plan. And so we get there to the campground, and sure enough, we start driving through, and it's taken, 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 taken. And I'm like, Danielle, look, there's a spot up in the woods there. <laughs> She's like, that's not a campground. <laughs> and now to, for Danielle to go camping, like it's, it, you know, she's not a camping girl, right? She's just not, I'm, I love you, but it's just not her cup of tea. So like in order for it to happen, like it's got to, it's got to be planned well. It's got to be right. It's got to be in the right spot. And Danielle, you know, this was, she was not going to rough it. Let's just say that. And so we're sitting there at the end of this line of the campgrounds and I'm looking at her and I'm like, man, we weren't prepared. We didn't lock in the spot, right? You know, you can reserve spots, you know, which all those things. And I was like, well, we could have done that, but last time it worked, right? Last time we were able to find one. Well, this time we weren't, right? We weren't prepared. And so we had to drive all the way back home and camp at home. <laughs> and so we ended up camping back at home. We had a good little fun road trip. It was great. 
but we missed out, right? We missed out on camping. We weren't prepared. We didn't prepare the spot. We didn't do what we needed to do. And as I thought about that, it reminded me, and as we talk about today's story, what if I told you that you could miss out on the biggest thing to happen in all of history? What if I told you that? Right? We talk about missing out. This was a small thing. It was just a camping trip. It was just a, a little thing that we were hoping to happen. But what if I told you you could miss out on the biggest thing to happen in history? You see, most people believe that Jesus, as we talk and transition to the Bible, we believe that Jesus lived a human life, but not everyone believes that he's coming back. Right? We believe that he was, you know, a lot of people will say, Jesus sounded like a good guy. You know, you, you've maybe seen some of those videos where people are doing street, you know, interviews and stuff like, yeah, Jesus sounded like a great guy. He lived 2,000 years ago. But what, part of what Jesus taught was that he came, lived, died, resurrected, and he's like, hey, I'm coming back. Yeah. Right? There's a, there's a part of that that we, always, that we forget and that not everyone believes. And so kind of that theology lesson side of that is that Jesus came to redeem us from our brokenness and invite us to his kingdom. Right? That's why we're, we're talking about these clues of the kingdom. He, he invites us to his new kingdom, his kingdom, where he is the king, right? where we can learn to live in this broken world as we were created to. Because right? we're, we're not evaporated, you know, just you know, pulled out of this world. We're still called to live in it, right? to not be of the world, but in the world. And that's where Jesus' kingdom is. It comes through us. Right? And then that when we live in this kingdom, it'll live forever, right? when we trust him and pursue him in eternity. You see, he initiated his kingdom when he came. When Jesus came 2,000 years ago, he came. He lived a human life. And as we know, and you've heard me say it before, he stepped out of eternity into humanity. And he died on a cross, and he rose from the dead. That's been historically pretty proven, right? You can go through. There's, there's scholars that, that, that are not Christian, that are not religion, that, that say Jesus was a thing, a deal, right? He was, there's Roman scholars, Roman theolo- uh, historians that claim that Jesus was here, that he lived and died. And that they were like, people said they saw him afterwards. They were confused. Like, they're like, it changed their lives. It changed everything. And we see what Jesus did is he gave us his spirit as he was leaving. We see that to help us live the kingdom life now. Right? He's like, hey, that's something good's better coming, right? Brokenness will be fixed, right? In eternity, you'll have new bodies. And all of us who are getting older, right? We're like, yes, new bodies, right? I'm trying to run more and my feet hurt all the time. And I'm like, come on, man. I could be so much better of an athlete if my feet didn't hurt anymore. That's what I was telling Danielle the other day, uh, right? But uh, we don't have to deal with that in the future, amen. Um, but as we see here, he gives us his spirit to help us live in his kingdom life now. And while he awaits for many as possible to come to him before returning, right? So he gives us a spirit. We live in the kingdom. We interact as kingdom people on this earth, his ambassadors, as we see what Paul says. And when he is waiting to return and waiting for us, for those to come back to him. And so the question I have is you've, as you've thought about this, maybe you've thought about it, maybe you haven't, or maybe you haven't thought about it in a while, is do you ever think about what you'll be doing when Jesus comes back? right? If he, if he does, if it's time, right? We, we, look, we look to the future like, oh, well, Jesus is coming back in the next six months, one year. And some people have written books, right? 88 reasons why Jesus come back in 88, right? There's, then he rewrote the revised version in 89 of why he was coming back in 89, um, right? We look to ahead. We say, Jesus is coming back. We know that. And we can't get stuck in the details and the minutia of like when, where, why, how. But have you ever thought about that, right? What am I going to be doing, I remember as a, you know, uh, as a kid with the Left Behind series and things like that, and it was, that kind of traumatized me as a kid. It's like, I could be doing something and then my family's gone. And I was like, ah, you know. Um, 
right? What will your mindset be like? What will it be like? Right? And as we look at this, and it's, it's not to scare us, right? When Jesus gives us these warnings, and we talk about today, when he gives us these instructions, these parables, it's not to scare us, but to prepare us. Right? It's not to get us thinking and, and, and stewing and worrying because we know that worry is not of God. Right? Worry is not of God. Worry is of the enemy. But when we are walking with him and knowing him and in his presence, right, it doesn't matter when, where, why, how. I know, I know him and I'm known by him. Amen? I mean, that's what it's all about. And so as we look at that, based on percentages, based on the, our lives, what is the thing that we're most likely going to be doing when, we, when he shows up? Well, most likely sleeping, right? We spend most of our time of our life sleeping. We're like, all right, I'm just going to bed, waking up in heaven. All right, sounds good. <laughs> Sorry. But uh, as we look at these parables today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25. And Matthew chapter 25 is preceded by Matthew 24, if you didn't know that. But in Matthew 24, verse 36, Jesus tells us this. Right? He's just kind of towards the end of Jesus' ministry. He's triumphantly entered into Jerusalem. He's preparing to go to the cross, preparing to be betrayed. This is that final week. He's giving these final parables, teachings to remind the people of the kingdom that is coming. And in Matthew 24, verse 36, he says, However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself, only the Father knows. Right, so let's just start there. Let's just not like get our calendars out and start looking through things and looking at, like, okay, well, Jesus would be really good if he came back on January 2024 because I really want to do Christmas again this year. So, uh, <laughs> right, because you know I love Christmas. Um, right, so like we can't, we can't start doing that. We don't know. Not even Jesus knows. Jesus is like, I don't know. God's just going to be like, hey, it's time. Get down there. Right, and so here's what we need to do. Here's what we need to remember. Right, we don't get caught up in where, who, what, where, when, why, how. Right, he says this in 2444. He says, but you also must be ready all the time so the Son of Man will come, for the Son of Man will come when we least expect it. Right? And so it's just like it's, it, the preparation is in knowing him. The preparation is in, in, in knowing God and being known by him, as I've said before. You see, part of living for Jesus is living with the readiness for his return. Right? If it happens in your lifetime or not. Right? We've been, basically, when Jesus said the end time, right, we see that he uses a lot of this kind of end time judgment, you know, kind of theolo- you know, theology and different conversations here in these last verses of Matthew. But whenever he says that, it's any time since he's come. So that's 2,000 years we've been living in the end times. So just know that we're in the end times. Right When Jesus is waiting, he's calling his people, he's drawing people to him. But part of living for Jesus is living with a readiness for his return. Right? Making sure our priorities are straight, making sure our mind is in the right place, making sure that we're living in a way that is kingdom honoring. Right? That's what it's all about. And so how do we make sure we're ready? Thankfully, Jesus knew we'd have a hard time with that. Jesus knew that we were humans, right? He got to hang out with humans for 33 years. He knows our heart. He created our inmost being. He knows the thoughts in our mind. He knows the hairs on our heads. He understands us, right? And he gives us the ability and he gives us knowledge to help us conceptualize his kingdom from our limited perspective, right? Because we have a finite perspective. And so he told these often simple yet symbolic stories that we've been talking about, these parables, to help us understand how to live, in the, king, live the kingdom life in our broken world. And so the rest of Matthew 24 and 25, and as you, you follow along, you read to 26, there's the plot to kill Jesus, then Peter's denial, Last Supper, all of those things happen, and then Jesus is on the cross, right? So that's what precedes this moment. Jesus' final words, final talk, teachings about the kingdom 
And today as we look at Matthew 25, we see the story of the ten bridesmaids. Ten bridesmaids. Would you, would you bow your head in a word of prayer with me as we go to his word and unpack this parable today? God, I thank you for today, Lord. I thank you for your word. It's alive and powerful. Lord, thank you that it speaks to our hearts, God, that it rearranges our priorities. And today as we hear your words, your words spoken verbally 2,000 years ago, God, remembered and spiritually inspired and written into scripture. And God, for us here today, Lord, to process again and allow it to speak to our hearts. God, we thank you for that. We thank you for your word. Lord, be with us. Speak to us. God, may we not walk out of here the same person that walked in today. Jesus, we thank you. Your name, amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can go with me, Matthew 25. If not, it'll be on the screen. And uh, how many of you guys are thankful for technology? Right? Thankful for technology. It puts things on the screen, yeah? Today was a little crazy getting things set up. So if the words are there, and I heard you guys had a fun time last Sunday as well, like the worship was on the back screen, and you know, you know sometimes that's the way things work, but uh, we're glad things are working today uh, as we work through Matthew 25, and so I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to come back and process through it, but let's go ahead and read this parable. Jesus gives, says this, then the kingdom of heaven will look like 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. So we're setting the stage here. We, the kingdom of heaven is like 10 bridesmaids, right? Bridesmaids are the women that would attend the bride when the, when the, you know, throughout the wedding you know, ceremonies, which generally was a multiple day affair kind of scenario situation. These bridesmaids would walk with the bride, help make sure she was hydrated, you know, all those different things, make sure she's having a good time. They were her, her closest friends. It says five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. Good for us to know. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. So they're waiting, right? They're waiting. They have, some have extra oil, some don't. They got drowsy, they fell asleep. That's, that happens. In verse 6, it says, At midnight they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are gone out. Right? And so we see here that they've all had their lamps lit. They're hanging out. They're, they're waiting for the bridegroom to get there. Their lamps are lit. They fall asleep, most likely with the light still there. And they wake up. They hear the bridegroom is on the way. And the foolish ones realize that their oil's empty, that their lamps, the others, gone out. And they look to the others. They say, hey, can you spare some oil? But in verse 9, it says, the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to the shop and buy some for yourselves. They're like, hey, if we give you, a, you know, some of ours, we won't have enough. Like, you, you're going to have to go. You're going to have to go get some more. And it says in verse 10, but while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day of my return. All right, Jesus uses this story to, as I mentioned, to illustrate this parable, illustrate you know, what it's going to be like when he comes back. Right? That there's going to be people who don't know him or that he that isn't known by, known by him. Right? We see that in the, the important thing here is that everyone is invited to this party. Right? This is, this is going to happen. Right? There's, a, there's a wedding feast that's going to happen. There's a party that's going to happen. It's going to be awesome. And if there's going to be a party, I want to be there. I want to have fun. I want to be there. Right? So we see that there's, everyone's invited to the party. We see that Jesus, in this parable, this story, is the groom. Right? And the bridesmaids are all invited to the wedding 
banquet. But the important thing to see is that not everyone ends up in the party. Not everyone ends up in there. Not everyone ends up just, just by, by happening into it. There, there was preparation, there was process that happened. You see, some get in and some are left out. You see, the context in, indicates this, there's a difference between salvation and eternal life, or eternal life and condemnation and hell, right? Just punishment for rejection of God, right? For not being in the right place, for not being prepared. You see, this is a big deal, right? And, that's, and so why is there such a stark contrast here? Because we got to look at it. It's like pretty clear. It's like made it, didn't make it. Lamps lit, ran out of oil. Like we have to, how do we do this? But he gives us these two words, foolish versus wise, to help us unpack this a little further, right? You see, the terms here defined by wisdom in, in literature of scripture says this, wisdom begins with respecting God enough to live your life in light of his authority, right? So that's what biblical wisdom is. If you're wondering what wisdom is, it's on the screen there, right? It's living our lives, respecting God enough to live your life in light of his authority. There's a whole book, if you didn't know, called Proverbs in the Old Testament that is called the book of wisdom, Right? And you read that through, and they're like some wise thoughts. I remember reading that through as a kid. I'm like, wow, this guy's a wise guy. He's got some understanding. Right? These things help us understand. But wisdom begins with respecting God, right? knowing that he's the wisdom giver. Right? James writes that if you lack wisdom, right? if you're like, I don't know what to do in this circumstance, scenario, situation, this life, I don't know, I don't know what to do. He says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. Right? God wants to give us wisdom. He wants to impart us wisdom. He wants us to know him and, like I said, be known by him. Right? This leads to a thoughtful, intentional life where self, God, and others are honored with integrity and justice that leads to flourishing. Right? That's what this wisdom does. Wisdom given to us by God is different than head knowledge. Right? It's different than just knowing. It's different than books. It's different all those things. Wisdom given by God as I mentioned, begins with respecting God and giving enough to live our life in light of his authority, right? It's being intentional, understanding, going to him for things that I don't know and understanding that he has things that I don't know, right? Sometimes I get frustrated in that. It's like, God, I just want to know it all, right? God, why can't I just do that? Why can't I just get this understanding? Why can't this happen my way? You know, wisdom says I'm going to trust God, right? I'm going to respect God to live my life in light of his authority. You see, that's a, the opposite of that is that foolishness, right? We talked about that foolishness. There's the wise bridesmaids, then there's the foolish bridesmaids. But foolishness, as we see in scripture, is a life defined by disregard for God. But that's what if there's no, as if there's no real consequences for your actions, right? Wisdom, says, I'm going to respect, I'm going to trust God, I'm going to be, I'm going to live under his authority. Foolishness says, I'm going to live under my own authority, my own wisdom, my own thoughts. You see, this tends, it will lend to, well, to not only self-destructive behaviors, but to sin and evil in general. That's what the foolish life gives us, right? Indulgence, right? Lust, right? Gluttony, all those things are like, oh, I just, this is great, right? That's so good. All these good things, right? Good things, quote unquote. And as we see in the story, everyone brought a lantern, but the difference between the wise and the foolish is determined by the amount of oil brought and preparation of the banquet, right? They brought, all brought lamps. They were all invited, but what was most important was what, how much they brought and their preparation and their, their, their general mindset when it came to it. But here's another Old Testament picture for us to see in this story. You see, the lamp is a symbol of the presence of the Holy Spirit. 
But that's what the lamp is. The lamp is the light, right? It, it shines. It's his presence, right? It's, indi- it's indicative of God seeing and knowing those who came into his light. We, we see that Jesus came to be the ultimate light into the world, right? Jesus is the light of the world. We see that. And as I keep talking, Christmas is coming, right? I, I'll begin to celebrate Christmas after my birthday. My birthday was last Thursday, so Christmas is on the way. So just letting you know, you're going to be hearing about it more and Frosty's showing up, okay? All right? He's here to stay, right? But the, the lamp is a symbol of the presence of the Holy Spirit, the light of God, right? The light that shines into the darkness, right? It's indicative seeing and knowing those who come into the light. We see that in Zechariah 4.10, right? We see it also that Kimpi the lamp lit is a symbol of a desire to know and be known by God and to be in his presence. We see that that was a big deal in the, the early church, Right, that was a big deal in the temple in Exodus, that they kept the lights going, they kept the candles burning, they kept the temple lit so that way they could recognize and know that God's presence was there. We said all through Exodus, but Exodus 27, 21. The light, the lamp is a symbol of the presence of the Holy Spirit. The second thing that we see, that second symbol here is the oil, which is a symbol of the purity of the Holy Spirit. Right? Oil that is tainted, full of water, that is, uh, has other materials, doesn't really light as well. Right? It'll burn out quicker. Right, if it's, if it's not kept right. You see, not only to fuel the flame for light, but also the purifying work of the Spirit to cleanse us from sin. Right, we see that with the anointing of different priests, right? It's of, of Aaron and the different priesthood of Levites. And one of my favorite Psalms uh, in, 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 in Scripture is, is the, the Psalms where like, it talks about the oil being poured over Aaron and it goes over his head, even over Aaron's beard, right? It's like, that's a lot of oil to anoint this man, right? Um, and Christmas beard's coming back as well. Um, all right, this is summer beard. Christmas beard is coming. Um, <laughs> sorry, Christmas on the mind. Right, it's, it's, for, it's the purifying work. It's to cleanse us from our sin. That's what the oil helps us do. That's what fire does. Flame, fire helps purify metals. It helps refine the things in our lives. And as we see here, the oil helps purify our hearts. And so all brought 10, brought 10 lamps and oil, and there was a weight. It says that the, the groom was delayed, right? That something happened, but they were all waiting on God, waiting on the groom. And here's an important thing for us to see as we look at our lives, as we look at the future, as we look at Jesus coming back. Waiting on God is a common test to discern our sincerity, right? Waiting on God, right? Are we willing to wait on God? That's one of my hardest spiritual disciplines is waiting, Right? Because I want to get moving. I want to know where I'm going. I want to know what I'm doing. I want to start knocking walls down in the stinking kids' room, right? Let's just go right now. Like, sledgehammer time. His kingdom, right? I just want to start moving. But waiting on God when it comes to understanding his presence, understanding his kingdom, waiting on God is a common test to discern our sincerity, right? In our society where we can push the microwave button and we got popcorn and meals and things like that, or where I can just go to the drive through and get food, like, we don't like to wait, right? That's what I love about smoking meat, because I got to wait 20 hours for my brisket to get done. And then I'm like, slice it, delicious, right? And then it's gone. And I'm like, man, I just spent 20 hours on that. But the wait was worth it, right? The wait was worth it, right? We don't like to wait. And waiting on God, as we know, is is a test for our heart. So if you feel like you're in a season of waiting, if you're like praying to God, help me know, let me see, give me your wisdom, know that generally in the waiting is where we get to do most of our work where God does the most of the work in our heart, right? Waiting isn't a bad season, but it's a time for us to make sure our focus and our priority is right, and it's on him. 
So everyone had a lamp, everyone had oil, everyone had a lit lamp, indicating their desire to be in, God, in the presence of the groom, to be in this place of waiting, to see it happen. But not everyone made the ex- extra effort to bring extra oil. You see, that extra effort is where wisdom comes in, right? These, other, these five that were wise, they said, hey, what if the bridegroom is delayed? What if his horse falls into a pit? Like, they, were, they, they thought through what, what could possibly happen, and they, were, they prepared and brought enough oil so they were ready to go. You see, their effort is where wisdom come, comes in, a willingness to take the extra steps to honor God, the extra steps to make sure that they were not, didn't miss out on the presence of the groom when he came, those extra efforts. You see, not everyone was prepared to keep the lamp lit through the long and dark times. And maybe you've been through some of those scenarios in your light where you felt like darkness was there. And, you know, a lot of times what God does is he prepares us in the moments before, the waiting before, the, the lamp, kind of the lamp tending, the oil preparing times for when the time feels dark. Right? we got to have those preparation times. And if you look back, and I look back through my own life, my own story, my own journey, and I'm like, man, I don't know how I made it through that dark season. And God says, hey, sh- look, look what I did before that. Wow. Like, look at the preparation that I did. Look at, look at what, look, what I prepared you for. Look what, look what I did in your heart. Look what I rearranged in your priorities. Look what I did. And then you had that dark time, and it, and it, and it sucked, right? I mean, I can say that. Pastors can say that sometimes, right? Um, it wasn't good, right? <laughs> Daniel, you're not allowed to say that word, Um, (laughs) right? It wasn't the best of times. It was a dark time, but you prepared. I prepared you in the waiting for those dark times, right? I walked with you. I was there. You trusted me. Your wisdom, you lean into my wisdom, not unto yourself. You see, the preparation was proof of their genuine desire, right? God, I want to honor you in this waiting. I want to honor you in this time. I want to honor you in the light and in the darkness, you see, ready for, readiness for Jesus' return is about keeping the lamp lit, right? Keeping the presence of God around you, right? What do you need to do to tend the oil of your life, right? What do you need to do to keep the lamp lit in your heart for the Lord? And as I thought about this, I wanted to give us four thoughts today as we move to application of this parable, because it's important for us to see there's a lot here, there's a lot there for us to process, but here's some key thoughts that we can take away from this parable the first one is that we need to be wise, not foolish. You guys are like, duh, right? <laughs> like, I got that figured out. I want to be the wise guy. I want to be the wise gal. I want, I want to do that. But what does that look like in your life? Does it look like complete surrender to Jesus? Does it look like surrender to him? Does it look like preparing? Does it look like cracking open your Bible in the morning and making sure the lamp is lit in your life, making sure that you're adding some oil to the fire? Right? When you, when you go camping, you got to keep adding wood to the fire. And I'm like, more wood, more wood. Then I look over and I'm out. And I'm like, man, I got to go chop some more wood, right? Like, you got you to keep tending the flame, right? Be wise, not foolish, right? What are you filling yourself with, right? What are you filling your mind with? Comes back. Filling your thoughts with? What are you, like, what is consuming your time? As we talked about at the beginning, what are you going to be doing when Jesus comes back, right? What is going on? What are you filling yourself up with? Right, the wise thing is that we're filling ourselves with the things of the Lord. Filling ourselves, filling our minds, filling our spirits. Right? They, these people, the wise, the, the wise bridesmaids, they brought extra. They're like, hey, something might happen. They might, we might need extra. They didn't rely on themselves or what they thought would be enough. Man, how often do we do that? Right? We go into our week and we're like, hey, this is going to be great. You know, I have enough energy. I have enough sleep. I have enough. You know, like, we're like, I'm going to rely on myself. No, they didn't rely on what they thought would be enough. They went to the others and they're like, you know, we need more. And there wasn't enough. 
So the first thought I said is be wise, not foolish. The second is that Jesus can show up when we least expect it. Right? Remember that Jesus can show up for, for you know, him taking us home into eternity. Like that could happen. But also he can show up with his presence here on a Sunday morning. Right? He can show up in a mighty way in your car on your way to work. Right? He can show up at, at, in your living room while you're washing dishes. Not living room, washing dishes. In your kitchen while you're watching, washing dishes. Right? He can show up wherever. Right? The presence of God can show up wherever. When we are tending the flame, when we are doing the right things and putting oil and being wise, God's presence will show up. And you'll be like, man, God, you were with me in that conversation. Man, God, I had no energy going into today. Man, God, I didn't have the words to say in that interview, and you gave me every single word that I needed to say, and I got the job. Praise the Lord. Right? All of those things can happen when I fan the flame and I oil the flame and I'm walking with him. Because Jesus' presence can happen at any time. Right, that's what his spirit promises. And that's, that's important for us to see here too in the parable. At midnight, it says the groom was delayed, shows up late. Why would the groom show up that late? He was delayed. Right, it wasn't the time. Man, we have to be prepared. We, Jesus can show up when we least expect it. His presence can show up when we least expect it. The third thing is, and this one hit me really hard as I processed this scripture, is you can't get into heaven on someone else's passion for Jesus right? Man, just because my wife loves the Lord a lot, I, doesn't mean I'm going to get to heaven. Just because my grandma loved the Lord and is in heaven doesn't mean I get to go to heaven, right? That one struck me as I lo- watched this. They, they all gathered. They all had their lamps lit. They fell asleep. They got drowsy. And then the bridegroom showed up, and there wasn't enough oil to go around. And they had to go back to the store to get some more, and they were, those five wise ones went into the party. The other five, they weren't Known by God. Known, knowing God. I'm kind of buzzing here. You see, they asked the wise ones for their oil, but they couldn't spare it. And it's important for all of us to recognize and know that the wisdom, you know, our alignment with God, our walk with God is, is our responsibility. Right? We're not going to get into heaven. We're not going to get, in, you know, get through, you know, into the, the bridegroom's, you know, banquet feast on somebody else's coattails on someone else's passion for Jesus. And your passion for Jesus might look different, right? It might be a stoic passion. It might be a deep processing passion. Man, I've met some people who process scripture and they, they, they are the most stoic people in worship. They're just like, just, just there. But they're thinking about God. They're processing God. The words are coming through and they're really you know, allowing God's presence just to process through them. And they're like, man, God spoke to me today. I'm like, really? Like, you look like a statue, right? You know, like, and it was just like, I was like, because they're focused on God, right? It doesn't matter your temperament. It doesn't matter who you, how you operate. But, you know, for me, I'm like, like I've told you before in worship, I'm like, you know, when the song says, I'll stand, I'm going to stand. You know, like, I have to physically respond in worship, and I got to pursue God. I got to make sure my passion for him is real, authentic, genuine, that I'm giving it all for him. Right? That's the way we have to live, because we can't get into heaven. We can't go point today on someone else's passion for Jesus. Because that leads us to our fourth, fourth point today in worship team. You guys go ahead and come on up and get ready to go. Because the fourth one hit me as well, is that some people are going to miss out. Some people will miss out. Some people, we all have the opportunity. It says Jesus has been knocking on the hearts of humanity, right? God has been reaching out to humanity. He's been about restoring humanity since the beginning of time, right? That's why he sent Jesus. That's why he calls us. He stirs in us. He gives us his kingdom so we can be ambassadors, so we can share to to the world around us who he is. But hear the words that he says. He called back to them in verse 12. 
believe me, I don't know you. Right? That knowing and being known, right, is relationship. That's what Jesus came to establish and to reestablish with us and God. You see, the bridegroom returned, and when he saw those who were prepared and had oil, who had the Holy Spirit, who had been, you know, had his presence, were, were staring there, had enough, he said, come in. And then those that had to go, they came back late, and they weren't there. You see, this is harsh, but here's the thing. It's a choice, and the question we have to ask is, will I be prepared? What am I preparing? What is, what is the focus of my life? What is the focus of my attention? Will I, be, will I know and be known by God? It's a tough question. It's one that we all should process. You see, here's the, the takeaway thought, is that we have to pursue a pure life out of respect for God and maintain our desire for him through hard times. Right? Through the good, the bad, the ugly, the ups, the downs, we have to pursue him, pursue his presence, have to make sure our passion is for him and him alone. Right? And, and it, whenever we look at our life, we look at our priorities, we look at our budgets, we look at the things that are going on, and when those become more important than God, right, that's a good reminder that we need to get back in the right place. Right? I love that God, that Jesus is patient. Right? He's patient with our brokenness. He's patient with our broken hearts. Because we know that our, alignment, our, our lives get misaligned. They get on the, ro- the wrong path, the wrong foot. But he gives us the opportunity through the power of repentance right, to say, okay, I was going this way. Right? Now I'm going to go that way. Right? I was doing this. Now I'm going to surrender that. Right? You know, it says that if we confess our sins, if we confess our brokenness, if we confess the things that are misprioritized in our lives, we confess it to God and say, hey, I'm going to, i got to do better, so I'm going this way. I'm going the other direction. I'm repenting. That's what it's all about. And so the question is, are you ready? Is your lamp lit? Do you got enough oil? Right? Are you excited to be in God's presence? And that's what I love about Sunday mornings. Like, this isn't the only place that God's presence dwells, but when God's people gather together, they lift their voices in worship, we get on the same page, we get excited about Jesus, his presence shows up, right? I've seen it over and over again because we are God's carriers and bearers of his presence, right? The question is, do I need to make the extra effort to have a little more oil in my life, right? This Sunday morning can't be enough. If you're not cracking this open, on a day-by-day basis, if you're not reading his word, if you're not allowing it to saturate your life, this is, this is where the oil comes from, right? That purity from the oil, as you read this through, you're like, man, I, my priorities are wrong. And Paul, you know, in Colossians chapter 3, he says, I got to put to death whatever belongs to my earthly nature, sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. And you're like, Paul, these lists are, are, are lengthy and difficult and hard and they hurt, right? And we say, God, I'm going to surrender that to you. That's putting some more oil in the tank, right? When we surrender those things to God, Right? The question is, do I need to clean up some impurities that aren't honoring to God? Do you need to resolve him, to love him despite difficult circumstances? All those questions are powerful. And I don't know where you're at, where you're coming in this morning with, what baggage, what scenario, what circumstances, what life, you know, curveballs you feel like are being thrown at you. And sometimes you feel like you're just swinging and missing left and right. But today, long through you that God is for you, that Jesus is for you. He longs to, to, to be know, to, for you to know him and for you to be known by him. That's what he wants, right? When people stand on the backside, well, like, well, why would God do this? God has given us chances. He's given us me a lot of times. Before I said full on yes to him, he was like, Darren, I'm extending another chance, right? And many of us in this, story, this, this room have that story, have that thing, like, man, God was really giving me all the chances that I needed. He's faithful and just. 
but it's on us to keep the flame lit with him. And so I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads and close your eyes just in this room, just in a moment, you know, for you to look in your mind's mirror to process where you're at. Maybe one of these questions is really just kind of stirred in your heart. Maybe you're like, man, I don't know if I have enough oil in the tank or if I'm doing the right things or going the right direction. Man, if you're, if you're pursuing the Lord, giving your heart to him, you're all to him, spending time with him, like that's the right direction, right? That's wise. Foolishness says go do it your own way. And so, Lord, today as we all introspectively look at ourselves and our minds mirror today, God, we surrender. God, may that be our heart of just, God, longing and surrender and just desperation, God, for your presence. God, may everything in life that tries to steal our attention, tries to give us the counterfeit to joy and love and hope and happiness, every one of these things that our world says will make us full. God, we know that they've paled. God, when given to the flame of your presence, they will perish. So God, today, Lord, may we put our attention on you. God, may we put our focus on you on you. God, may we fill ourselves up with the things of your kingdom, the things of your spirit, the things of your life. God, we can't do it on our own. So God, for everyone in this room, for all my friends, my family, my church family here today, God, I know that each and every one of them walk in this door with different stories, with different circumstances. God, and today, Lord, we do not want to miss out on your presence. God, we do not want to miss out on what you're doing in our world, in our lives, and in what you can do through us when we surrender to you. And so, God, may we put our hearts back in alignment with you, God. God, may we put our priorities back in alignment with you. God, may we remove those things. May we surrender those things that are not of you. Lord, may we trust you today. God, we need you, Lord. We need you. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen.